follow along with the scripture on the screen behind me. So this is from Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Lord Jesus, our prayer is, uh, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing unto you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, fear has gripped our nation, has it not, in, in a lot of respects, and it doesn't matter which uh, party affiliation uh, folks fall in. Uh, what's amazing to me is this is this uh, election, more than than any other, actually, it's the first, and since we've paid attention to such things, has been we voted for the person that we were hoping, uh, based on who we didn't want to go in there. And so, actually, a lot of people were going into this election, it doesn't matter which side you're on, thinking, oh no, the world's going to end if that candidate gets in place. Actually, I remember a couple days running into uh, this last Tuesday, there was a picture of one of the candidates, and it literally said in quotation marks, I am the only thing standing between you and the apocalypse. So there's a lot of fear going around our nation, a lot of division. It, people have taken to Facebook, people have taken to streets, people have taken all these different things. How do we respond as individuals? How do we respond as a church? Now, before we get, get into that today, I want to take a brief but important sidebar conversation you know, thought here and, and address what is our political position here at current? And it's this, that ultimately church is not about politics, okay? I mean, you know, we want to be a place where people can come, whatever political ideology you fall in, we're to love God, love one another, and love our neighbors. And this is important for a number of reasons. One of those being, did you know that 80% of people who identify as nuns not, not the women who live in robes and convents, nuns, uh, the people who identify on surveys that they are not affiliated with any religious category, 80% of nuns believe that there is a personal God, but reject the church because they see it as a thin veil for a, a political agenda. That's tragic to me because Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Now, does this mean as a church, the response should be to turn a deaf ear or a blind eye to social injustices or cultural immoralities. No, otherwise we don't understand what Jesus' kingdom is. But I believe it, you can make a good point, you could make a good argument that the Bible is actually bipartisan. Uh, my personal conviction is when you look at both political parties, as flawed as they deeply are, I used to study politics, okay, hear me on that, deeply, there are some causes, there are some values that each of these political parties champion that originate in the Bible, and those things are good, but for all the rhetoric of vote for me and there will be change, vote for me and there is hope, vote for me and there's salvation, 
Salvation doesn't come in politics. It seems no coincidence to me that we have come now to Mark 4, the second chapter here, where we see Jesus is Lord even in the most terrifying of life storms. Whether that's in the nation state of turmoil or whether for you it's more at the personal level. You have fear and anxiety over a relationship, your career, the physical health of, health of you or a loved one. And this text shows us how Jesus' power helps us respond to fear. And by the way, how we can help others respond to fear. And so what I want to look at today are, are three things uh, from this text. Uh, number one, the reality of Jesus' power. We'll see the nature of Jesus' power. And then finally, we'll see the source of Jesus' power. Reality, nature, and source of Jesus' power. So first, the reality of Jesus' power. What's interesting, if you were listening in when Chris was reading the scripture, is all these details that seem almost unnecessary to the storyline. Did you catch, actually, a lot of biblical scholars, they look at this story, and they're like, man, a lot of these details don't really push forward, you know, the, the story, the narrative of what Mark is saying. Look at verse 36. Leaving the crowd behind them, they took Jesus along just as he was. Uh, that's nice to know. Uh, what the, he is saying here is that uh, earlier in this chapter, what we looked at last week, Jesus had pushed out a little bit from the shore on a boat into this little cove where he, he created this natural amphitheater where he could teach the thousands on the hills. You know, the day before Mike's, he could just speak and his voice would carry. So he's teaching them. At the end of that same day, we pick up here and it says, they took him as he was and they went towards the other side of the lake. That means they didn't go into shore to freshen up. They didn't go in for supplies. They just took off. Interesting to know. The end of verse 36 says, uh, verse 36 says there were also other boats with them. Again, interesting but we don't really see how that uh, pushes forward the narrative too much. Then verse 38, after the storm comes, they're about to be overtaken by it. It says, Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. Now, I find these details really interesting because if you've paid attention to Christian art from the Renaissance or whatever, Jesus is almost all, actually, I've only ever seen him depicted in these paintings as in the bow of the boat. For us landlubbers, that means in the very front of the boat. But here it says he's in the stern. Michelangelo got it wrong. Mark says he's in the stern. Interesting detail. And then the last one, it says, my favorite, is Jesus was sleeping on a cushion. It's nice to know, Mark, that Jesus was comfortable. What's going on? Like, why, why are these details here? Why am I making a point of this? It's because Mark is showing here, as he shows on every single page of his gospel account, that this is an eyewitness event. This is not a legend or an epic. This is not a fairy tale. These are real things that happen to real people. Jesus is real. His power is real. Fairy tales, legends, legends and epics of, of that day in antiquity, you know, if you read Homer's Odyssey or Iliad or, or Beowulf or those sorts of things, they don't have these sorts of attention to details like this in there. If you've read them, you know this. Modern fiction, yes. Back then, no. Why was it in there? help us know that this is really happening. We've got to wrestle with it. This is also a, a good point in time to tell you, you know, to help us understand why it is we, we, we see Mark as a part of Scripture. Have you ever wondered how the New Testament Bible uh, books were put together? A lot of people will say, oh, there was this vote, and that's how it got put in there. The church got together. They put a vote. They, they voted on, okay, we should include Mark, Matthew, not Thomas. Let's vote for the... But the only problem with that sort of thinking is there's no record whatsoever of any vote. I've heard people over the years say, oh, this council, this council is when they vote. None of the councils, none of the events, in the early, we have no record of any vote. What we do have a record of was 
the criterion that the early church used to determine which books would be included, and that was this. Simply put, was the writing apostolic? Was the source material from one of the apostles? All the early teachings, all the early church writers or letters back and forth were always asking, does the source material come back to one of the apostles? Which includes, by the way, Mark here. We have a, a, a letter written from Bishop Papias of, of Hierapolis, written around 100 A.D., which, by the way, means that he very well, this guy, this early church founder, father, as we call him, could have very well have been alive at the same time Mark would have been alive. Because we know from, from the context that Mark was a youth when he was uh, around Jesus in those days. So around 100 AD, Bishop Papias says this, the apostle, he, uh, he describes Mark as the apostle Peter's interpreter, who wrote down accurately all that Peter remembered, whether the sayings or doings of the Lord. We have the book of Mark preserved because the source material is Peter, dating back even to 100 A.D. And the apostles were people who were spent time, this is the book of Acts tells us this, spent time personally with Jesus and were commissioned personally by Jesus. And therefore, the early church said, we've got to include the book of Mark because it's all coming from Peter. Which means, you know, that's why they didn't accept, for example, the book of Thomas, because they didn't think Thomas wrote it. So, and now, by the way, when you look at the book of Mark, I'll, I'll wrap this up here. I just think this is an interesting topic. When you look at the bark, uh, book of Mark now, you will see that there are certain details in his account versus the other gospel accounts that are particular to Peter's experience through Jesus. Look at that, and you'll see it. Again, what does all this mean for us? It means that we cannot dismiss Jesus for simply a fairy tale or a nice teacher. Do you notice how he displays himself to be in the story it's fascinating he doesn't get up to the storm and like other people of god prophets you know charleston heston you know moses in the name of god with the staff part these seas what does jesus say he says he rebukes the wind verse 39 he says be still I saw uh, one translation that, that seems to be better than this here. Is Jesus saying to the wind, shut up already. It was almost as if he was talking to it like a child. Be quiet, be still. But when I talk to my children that way, hey, can you quiet down? You know, it's more like a 50-50 proposition, whether they'll you know, do anything with that. When the creator talks to creation, it listens. And when we see in Colossians, it talks, you know, Mark 4 speaks to Jesus as Lord of creation. He is the image of the invisible God. For by Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, and it goes on. Jesus was the one who brought order from chaos. He spoke the words, the Son of God, let there be light. And what we see in this text is he's, not, he's Lord of creation. He's Lord of the storm. So he has the power to stop things, to stop life storms. He has the power at word. Whatever storm you're facing, he can stop it. But that leads us to a question, well, how come that doesn't always happen? Sometimes it does, and we're very thankful when it does, but it doesn't always happen. Why not? Uh, that leads us to the nature of Jesus' power. They were facing, these disciples, what says here, uh, what was described here as a furious squall. Uh, that word is also translated in other parts as a hurricane. It was crazy, heavy conditions. Have you ever been out on a boat during a storm? 
in Silicon Valley, I'm guessing not a lot of us have. Yeah, not many. Okay. I have, I've been out there on a small little boat, which actually is about the size of the disciples' boat, about 20, 25-foot boats, what they had. I was on a 20-foot boat in uh, conditions of what they call small advisory warning, meaning the, the, uh, the speed of the wind was over 12 knots, which just means that the white, there's starting to be white caps, which for lower, for smaller boats, that's actually really scary. And we're out there, we were caught in this little small storm. We were close to our final destination, Catalina Island. And my dad's like, okay, this is going to be scary, guys. Kids, go inside the cabin, huddle up. He strapped himself in, and he just kind of, you know, did evasive maneuvers that modern sailing techniques allows you. You go into the wind a certain way. You go into the waves a certain way. Modern boats allow us to do that. It was scary. I thought I was going to die. And that was a small advisory warning. This was a furious squall. They didn't have modern technology. These are professional professional fishermen saying we're gonna die means they were looking at a scary storm and what is jesus doing sleeping he's sleeping now i don't know about you but when i read stories about jesus or i hear them you know if you come here you hear them some days i'm often very encouraged by the stupidity parents of the disciples oh man they're so they're, they're so stupid I, I would never do that i'm encouraged because god he's got to love me too but i'll tell you what i am not tempted to feel that way in this situation i can sympathize i wonder if you can too because have you ever called out to god maybe there's been a storm in your life maybe you're there now and you're thinking where's he at god are you sleeping you know, what's interesting to me is, do you hear the emotions? They say, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Obviously, there's fear there, but don't you think there's also some, a little bit of annoyance, maybe even some fear? Jesus, if you're not going to do something, at least pick up a pail and start bailing, okay? They're so emotional here, and I feel like I can so resonate with that because there's so many times in my life, there's seasons where I'm just like, God, where are you? Where are you where, in, in this illness, this work situation? This person, you know, this in my family, do you even care? Are you asleep? But notice, Jesus doesn't get up and say, they're there to the disciples. What does he say in verse 40? After he rebukes the wind, he in turn rebukes the disciples. And he says, why are you so afraid? Why do you have this fear? Do you still have no faith? What's going on? What's this mean for us? I think it, it at least means this. God sometimes allows storms into our lives because he's more concerned about us trusting and following him than everything necessarily going smoothly. Uh, storms are a natural part of life. This is no exception, by the way, for the person who puts their faith in Jesus. Actually, if you look at verse 35, check this out. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go to the other side. Which, let's think about that for a second. They find themselves in the middle of a really scary situation because of Jesus' initiation and his leading them into it. What's that all about? Was he setting him, them up? You know what it seems to me is happening here? Earlier on in the day, he's teaching them what we looked at last week. Faith is like a seed. It, but it's got to overcome adversity in order, to have bear, in order to bear fruit. It's got to overcome, you know, the birds coming and eating it up, the sun coming and scorching up, life's worries and troubles, or, or thorns like 
the deceitfulness of wealth and, and the desires for other things. Seed, as humble as it is, has to overcome adversity in order to bear fruit and multiply. If you were to ask the disciples before they went out on the water, hey, how's your faith in Jesus at the time? I'm guessing they probably said, you know, I'm pretty strong. What about out there in the water? Not so much. I think what Jesus is doing is he lectured them in the morning, gave them a little lecture, and then in the night it was an object lesson. Don't you ever feel that way, that sometimes we can learn things, maybe through a sermon? By the way, I hope this doesn't mean we're all going to face storms after this. You, you learn something, but then it's, it's when it goes from the mind to the heart when we live through it and learn it that way. I think that's in part what, what's going on here. You know, listen to how Paul later writes it. He talks about this. He says, when we put, when we put our faith in Jesus, if this is you, he says, we can boast, this is Romans 5, in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. We also glory in life's storms. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. It's through weathering storms. It's precisely through weathering storms that we can actually develop the character and faith that God's working in us to have the lasting impact that he wants to have in our lives and the lives of those around us. Now, there have been seasons in my life where I thought my faith has been stronger than what it actually ends up being. There's been seasons in my life where it's like I'm holding on by a thread. Okay, I wonder if any of you have been there. I'm holding on by a thread, and the thread's the only thing keeping me from going into free fall backwards. And that thread itself feels like the fibers are starting to, you know, loosen. Even the thread's starting to give. And, I, and it's in the moment where I'm like, God, are you asleep? It's like when I just have given up. It's right after that moment. I don't know how many times this has happened in my life where God shows up. He provides financially. He gives clarity to a situation. He changes someone's heart. And you know what my heart's response is in times like that? Most often it's like, wow, like verse 41 with the disciples, God, you are amazing. It's so clearly you. I'm so thankful for you. You get all the praise. But sometimes it's mixed with that and, but God, does it have to be this way? Because I hate storms. I was sharing this with my brother this week, how it's like a mixed bag sometimes of going through a storm. And how does it have to be this way? And do you have mixed emotions of, okay, God, you know, is there, but man, this is hard. And, and I told my brother this, and he just started laughing. He's like, oh, man, I totally relate to that. My brother's going through a crucible of a life season right now. He is a resident surgeon and just working over 100 hours a week, I mean, literally, where he has a life of people in his hands, and he's working for two days straight, operating on people. I don't understand how this works. Our system's set up this way. And he's making mistakes, which you would think he'd make, and he's beating himself up over it because he cares about what he's doing. He sees this as his life calling. He doesn't have time to get connected to community because he's too tired, and his scheduling hours are all weird. His, you know, he just ended a, a hard relationship, an unhealthy relationship, which good as it, as it is, it reminds him of isolation, all those sorts of things. And he, you know what? In the middle of all of it, this season, he's constantly feeling like there's seasons spiritually too. God, where are you in this? I've, I've even gone into this. I feel like you've pulled me into this, and it's really hard. And he's told me, he's like, oh, man, I, can, I totally understand when God's showing up in the middle of the storm, having feelings of, wow, God, you're good, but also wrestling through, like, mixed bag of emotions. But he went on to say this. He said, you know, for the last few years, I've really been feeling that. But in the last six months, there's been a shift in my heart. I said, really? What, what is that? 
He said, there's been a shift in my heart where I realize actually it's now through the storms of life that God is really developing in my character, moving in me, and in the lives of, it's for, for those around me to see that it's beautiful and it's a more powerful way than it would otherwise be if there wasn't a storm so that I'm now saying, Lord, actually bring it on. I'm just sitting here. I've been in those conversations over the last few years with my brother. To hear him say that, it's like these disciples. These disciples, the seed last week we talked about of faith is, is so perfect of an analogy for them. For us, it's a humble beginning. You know, it just starts out, and it doesn't grow, it doesn't sprout up right away, it's just over time. And here, out in the lake, they find out, okay, their faith isn't probably as strong as they thought. And then later on, you know, they're running away when Jesus is arrested. They're abandoning him in, the, in his, most, his greatest hour of need. Peter goes on to de- deny Jesus three times. These guys are a piece of work. But then later on, when we see after Jesus has gone to the cross, risen from the dead, and returned to heaven, later on in the church, we, we see even in Acts 4, they are rejoicing in their sufferings. Because if you look at that passage, it's amazing. They're saying, oh my goodness, it's through our sufferings that God gets the most glory, and two, the church is advancing the most. Why? Because we are all in storms. Everybody's in a storm. The nature of Jesus' power is he cannot be tamed. I love the C.S. Lewis quote that says, is Jesus safe? No, but he's good. Jesus' power is untamable. The, it's kind of a comical thing of what we see here. The disciples go from verse 38 and 40, being scared out of their minds, terrified, it says, of the storm, to verse 41, being terrified of the one in the boat with them. Do you see that? They're scared of the storm, and then they're like, man, br- bring back the storm. Bring back, what do we do with this guy? But Jesus gives them what you're supposed to do with him, and that is have faith. Do you still not have faith? Why are you so afraid? I think what Jesus is calling us to in this passage is, is moving us from fear to faith. God wants to move us from fear to faith. We might not understand all the reasonings in this life. We might not orchestrate life events the way that they would be, but he cares for you and me. He loves us. We, and by the way, you can see that if you look back on his life. He says, that's what I think is interesting. Is he, do you still not have faith? Can you look back on things in your life where you're like, wow, God did show up. He showed up. By the way, wherever you're at spiritually, if you're his follower or not, I had a buddy of mine recently, a, little, a couple months ago, uh, this, you know, uh, conversation came up, and he said this. He wasn't a Christian at the time. He said, you know, when I think about it this way, there are too many things happening in my life for it to be coincidence. And he just saw the connected dots. Do you still not have faith? God wants to move us from fear to faith. His pa- you know, his, the reality of, of, of his power is he's Lord of the storm. The nature of his power is, is it's untamable. It's not necessarily what we'd write, but we can trust him. Believe it. But how? How is that? How does this make a practical difference in life, in our lives? Well, that brings us to the, the last thought, the source of Jesus' power. Because this story, like actually all stories in the Bible, ultimately point to God's love for us in the cross of Jesus. 
do you know that there are a number of times in the gospel accounts, so we have, you know, about this much that covered Jesus' life. Most of what we have written in the New Testament Bible about Jesus' life are about his last week and about him on the cross and just afterwards. Do you know that there's a bunch of places in those accounts where Jesus could have stopped everything at any point in time he wanted? So, for example, when he was, the night he was arrested in the garden, the soldiers came to take him away. Peter took up this little knife, and he managed to cut off the ear of one of the soldiers. And after healing the soldier's ear, Jesus looked at Peter, and he said, Peter, don't you realize that I could call thousands upon thousands of angels at any moment, and they would deliver me from this? Or on the cross, Jesus was up there hanging, and people were piling on the insults. They were mocking him. He saved others. Let's see if he could save himself. Jesus could have said on the cross, quiet, be still. And we would have seen the first and best experience of the mannequin challenge. I'm serious. He could have done it. He could have been, he could have been delivered, but he didn't. Why not? Because the Lord of the storm went into the great storm of our lives, the storm of our souls to save us. The storm of sin and death, sin being the disobedience we live towards God, the selfishness towards others that we live, death being the, the, the ultimate storm that we all face, no, no matter how our life events play out until that point. Jesus died on the cross, living the life that we should have lived and dying the death that we deserve for the sake of letting the water come into the boat. The water coming over the sides, sinking to the bottom, and being overcome. But here's the difference. We have Jesus in the boat if we're his followers, but he was abandoned. God, the Father, left him in that moment. I think if there's anything that you can hear in this, uh, you know, if, if you're here today and you're going through a storm, the, most, the best promise here for you is that Jesus is in the boat with you if you're his follower, or he wants to be in the boat with you if you're not. The biggest promise is not that he will just snap his fingers and deliver you from the storm, although he can and often does. The biggest promise is he says he's in the boat. And though it might feel like he is sleeping, he is there all the same. This is not some big game of SimCity. Remember that game? Where God, you know, God creates the city and all the structures, and then he hits the hurricane button, and it's just for his enjoyment. God cares deeply about the storms we face. Why? Because he went into our storm. If he could have done it any other way, he would have. But in going through the, the perfect storm, the ultimate storm, on our behalf, any storm that you and I face in this life amounts to a storm like in a bathtub splashing around. Because even death itself can't hold its grip on us. We can move from fear to faith and help others move from fear to faith. That last song uh, we sang before, before the break, It Is Well With My Soul, is such a powerful one, is it not? It was written by a guy named Horatio Spafford, who in 1871, the great Chicago fire uh, nearly ruined his life. It was almost the biggest trial of his life, but not the biggest, because in two years after that, 1873, he put his wife and his four girls on a ship for England, and after it came out of port, it hit another ship, and it sank quickly to the bottom, and all four daughters were lost. His wife barely escaped. She gets to England, and she sends back this telegram with the words, saved alone. 
Could you imagine hearing those, reading those words? And so he gets in a boat to go be with his grieving wife. And as he gets over, this is the story, as he gets over the part of the ocean where the boat had gone down and his daughters are at the bottom, he writes these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roar, and we can hear the point, can't we? When sorrows like sea billows roar, whatever my lot you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. So the question is, how is it well? He goes on in the song and he talks about this. He says, lest this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. Horatio knew that Christ loved him, and he saw it on the cross that he was weathering the ultimate weather of his soul on his behalf. And when he gets to the end of the song, he has Jesus returning triumphantly, not to judge him, but to save him and raise his daughters from the dead. And so he can say, and so we can sing, it is well with my soul. Uh, No other song gets it this good in terms of the flow, in terms of the melody, of course, the words, to have simultaneously sorrowful, we can be sorrowful, yet ever rejoicing. It is well with my soul. Last week I shared with you the story of Ava Lee. I think think we might have a picture of them. She's the one on the right. Of course, if you were here last week, you know that this this is a dated picture uh, she has lost her hair through all the chemotherapy. She's been fighting uh, 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 leukemia and is really in the fight for her life. Actually, we've got to pray for her. This week wasn't, wasn't a good one. Um, but she's just an amazing girl. Last week, we talked about it from the perspective of Jeremy Lin. His, it is so many people across the nation have been inspired by her story because here's this little girl facing death, and she is saying, hey, I want to pray for others. Hey, I want to make these video blogs so that others can understand God's love from eight years old. Eight years old. But this week I bring this up because I want to talk more from the perspective of Esther Lee, her mom there. Look at, look at this, by the way, the, this is a screenshot from her banner. It says, for the love of Ava and God's glory. That is the banner of her blog. For the love of Ava and God's glory. Look, if there are storms that are challenging, if there's squalls to face in this life, I can't think of one that's more challenging than the one that she's facing. Because one thing to face death ourselves, but to still sit helplessly on the side of our little one facing death, I, I can't imagine it. And yet what does she do a couple times a week? She disciplines herself to sit down, process these heavy emotions, pour them out on her computer screen, and, and publish. Listen to how she said uh, something this week. Thank you so much for all the encouragement and prayers. We have been so overwhelmed by, by the love. I learned that a few more sites picked up our story, so I included the links below. What she was referring to there is Washington Post. All these mainstream medias, about six of them, have picked up the story of Ada. And she says, you want to know what the amazing part is? It's not Ava's story uh, that catches, uh, it's not Ava's story that catches people's attention. Sadly, Every two minutes, a child is diagnosed with cancer. There are thousands of children battling cancer every day. No, it's not the fight that draws people in. It's the love. And then she paraphrases actually a, a vision, mission verse of ours here at Current. John 13, 35, by our love, the world will see God. 
She is saying through Ava, and by the way, through her, she is wanting to use this platform that God's giving them, even the storm that it is, to not only in their own lives move from fear to faith, but help others move from fear to faith, because we all face storms. But what she is saying loud is, and Jesus is in the boat with us. And Ava even talks about that. Eight-year-old girl. She says, I know I might die, but I put my faith in Jesus, and I have eternal life with him. Uh, and then actually, just two days ago, uh, Esther wrote, uh, quoted this verse, which I think really summarizes this whole message. Looking at 1 John 4.18, she says, Perfect love casts out fear. Jesus calls us from fear to faith and help those in our lives to do the same. Jesus' power is real. He's the Lord of the storm. It's not a fairy tale or legend. Uh, he is sovereign. The nature of his power is he's, it, it's unattainable. We might not always know the reasons for why we face what we face, but we know that he loves us. We know that he's with us. And finally, we can face the storms of life as challenging as they are because and move from fear to, f- fear to faith because he's where weathered the ultimate storm of our souls. He's brought us into life. Is there plenty of things surrounding us that can grip us with fear in our nation, internationally, or in the personal, in our, in our personal lives? Absolutely. But Jesus says it, it doesn't have to be that way. In fact, it shouldn't be that way. Because to the degree we can teach our hearts to move from fear to faith because of what he's done for us, is to the degree we can help not only ourselves experience, but help others around us experience the peace and hope and salvation in Jesus Christ. And so wherever the Lord has you, that's the call of our church. In small ways, big ways, however, in your workplace, helping people move from fear to faith. In action and in in word. That ultimately, though sea billows roll, Whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Let's pray. Father, I love how real your scripture is. How the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is not just a a wave of the hand or a wave of a wand and say, be well. But you sit with us through through the storms. And you do that because you faced the only storm that really can have power over us on our behalf. And so, Lord, we love you and we praise you. Would you help us to see how deeply you care about us, even when we face storms? Help us to see Christ on the cross, weathering on our behalf this great storm that we all face apart from you. And help us, because of your great love for us, move increasingly from fear to faith in you and to help others do the same. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.